I'm going to do this. I'm going to run for the United States Senate. The time is now for fresh ideas and new leadership. I'm running for student council because of you and for you. And that is why I stand before you today to announce my candidacy for president of the United States of America. Hello, this is Ravi Gupta from the arena. This is our first ever crossover podcast with Millennial Politics. And I've got Nathan Rubin here and Alessandra Biaggi, who's a candidate for state senate in New York and a longtime member of the arena community. Alessandra and Nathan, welcome. Thank you. Thank, Thank you for you. having us. It's good to be here. Yeah. And so uh, we are here in person uh, in New York City, and we're just going to dive right in because you're in the middle of a huge campaign here. Everybody's watching in New York. But before we even get to the campaign itself, you and your family have a long history in New York's 34th Senate Senate District. Tell us a little bit about what the district is, what neighborhoods it includes, and what your your and your family's connection is to that district. Yeah, I'm actually happy we're starting with this question because I often find that the number of the district means nothing to anybody. There's no hometown pride. Like you say District 34 and people have no idea what you're talking about. And so (laughs) for those of you listening, District 34 is parts of Westchester and the Bronx. In Westchester, it's all of Pelham and a sliver of Mount Vernon. Um, In the Bronx, it's Riverdale and Kingsbridge and City Island and Throgs Neck and Pelham Parkway and Pelham Bay, Hunts Point, Rikers Island is in this district, which means we should be talking about criminal justice reform as often as we possibly can. Um, And it's a very gerrymandered district. So it's very difficult to create community across this district. And that's why being in the race for as long as we have is actually a massive benefit to us because we have so many friends across the district that want to help us. I am fourth generation in District 34, actually. My grandparents and parents grew up in the Bronx. Um, I was born in Mount Vernon and I was raised in Pelham, but my my dad's side of the family, his, his parents lived in Riverdale. And so I spent almost every single weekend of my life until they passed away in Riverdale. And so I know Johnson Avenue very well and Henry Hudson Park and um, Van Cortlandt Park and just all of the landmarks really that are just innate to Riverdale. So it's very much home in the entire district is very much home. Not even Riverdale, but Marshall Parkway is where I used to chase the Mr. Softy ice cream truck. And it's a place that I just, I look at it. I, I think to myself, wow, this is where we all grew up and we played in the streets. And if I close my eyes and think about what it was like then and look at it now, there is a massive um, gap between uh, where we are and where we can be. Um, in terms of meeting people's needs. And so that's really a large reason why I'm in this race. So you just talked a little bit about your family connection Mm -hmm. to the district, but what actually inspired you to get in and why exactly are you running now? Yeah, that's a great, another great question. So I, after the 2016 election, I had worked for Secretary Clinton and like many people in, in and around the country, Um, I was trying to find my place in all of this. And so I taught civics for four months in people's living rooms. I went back to NYU where I went to school, taught civics there. And after four months of doing this, I thought, okay, well, I'm a lawyer and Donald Trump is our president. So I want to use my law degree to fight back against the federal government. And so I went to work for Governor Cuomo in his counsel's office, in his executive chamber. And 
for all of those, for all people who are listening who don't know what the executive chamber is, it truly is the highest level of the state government. And so if we even had won the 2016 election, this was a place I had my eye on because of the potential and the promise and the possibility of what can come out of this office. So I joined this administration and I have a women's portfolio and a health portfolio and I get the Reproductive Health Act on my desk to pass it and other bills, but this bill specifically. And the Reproductive Health Act is a bill that would codify Roe v. Wade, which means that right now in New York State, Roe v. Wade is not the law. Our abortion laws are from 1970. They predate Roe. And I thought this was easy because we have Democrats and, that and have a number of Republicans. More about that, if Kavanaugh is confirmed right. and um, changes precedent yes. on Roe v. Wade... What happens in New York absent legislative action? The reality, I mean, the harsh reality is that rich women will be able to get abortions and poor women will not. It's also a social justice issue. And so right now the abortion laws are in the penal code. The penal code is the place where you put laws to punish people. So there is no abortion that exists in the health law, and that's what the Reproductive Health Act would do. So uh, we wouldn't be able to have access to abortion in New York, which is very scary um, when you think about that, especially when you think about what New York represents to the rest of the country. You couldn't right? get it done. Why? Right. So we couldn't get it done because there was this group of eight rogue Democrats that were running as Democrats, but then going to Albany and doing this for seven years, and they were caucusing with Republicans and handing over the power of the state Senate to the Republicans and the leader of this group of the Independent Democratic Conference, also known as the IDC, is Jeff Klein, and that's the person that I'm running against. He has been my state senator for 14 years. And um, the icing on top of this whole thing, which really pushed me off the cliff to do this, was that after the session ends and the bill didn't pass and I had met with NARAL and Planned Parenthood and NIRH and we all thought it would pass, I got home and I received a mailer. And on the mailer was my opponent's face. It said he was supported by Planned Parenthood, that he was 100% pro-choice, and that all the bills that I had just tried to pass was were bills that he was fighting for, which I knew was not true, because I just witnessed what he did, which was block the bills from coming to the floor for a vote. So a lot of, it, a lot of New York politics is smoke and mirrors. You really can't even figure out what's going on. I was fortunate to be in a place where I could see into uh, what was going on in the state Senate, and I couldn't live um, right now being silent, knowing that there was something that I could potentially do, even if it was just shining a light by running. Yeah, and so uh, you and I uh, have bonded over this because mm-hmm. my state senator in Holman, Staten Island, yes. is a, a co-founder of the IDC. And you know what we've seen out there, which has also happened in your district, is folks act like Democrats in the district. Mm-hmm. They tout their endorsements. They right. say they try. They try, try, try. Right. And then they act like Republicans in Albany. Right. And not just Republicans, but the most corrupt That's uh, right. type of folks. They take money from all the big interests mm-hmm. on both sides of the parties. That's right. And uh, we're glad that you're running. We're glad you're taking them on. So the IDC, though, you talk to them. You talk to Savino. You talk to mm-hmm. Klein, Hamilton. Right. Um, what they say is they deliver for their constituents. Right. So they say um, they only allied with Republicans mm-hmm. to get resources for their district. Mm-hmm. What do you say to that? So they delivered Republican control of the state Senate. And when you look at what we could possibly have done in the seven years that they empowered the Republicans, what they're getting from the Republicans is crumbs off of their plate. If we had a Democratic majority in New York State, we would have things that are basic, like voting reform, early voting in New York. We have abysmal voting 
turnout. It's terrible. And two primaries. Right. right. That's right. And two primaries, right? We don't vote on the same day to confuse people even more. So people who've just voted in the congressional in June are, when I'm knocking on their doors, they're saying to me, but I've just voted. I thought I voted right. for, for you already. And I will say, no, there are two primaries in New York. So that's very confusing and a way to keep people out. It's a barrier for entry. Um, criminal justice reform, um, women's health, fully funding public schools. This is a big one. Um, we can't fully fund our public schools. And in all of these districts across the state, in District 34 especially, we're owed $88 million in public school funding. And these are things that the IDC members have blocked because of where their, con their campaign contributions are coming from. And so um, you can call it whatever you want, but it's very much a pay-to-play situation. Um, and this is also why so many people are turned off by Albany politics. And I think that this is the way that we change the entire game is by putting new leadership in these seats so that people can see that actually Albany doesn't have to be as corrupt as it's always been. And we can get things done. Yeah. And so let's talk more about that. New York, I think it would be surprising for folks to realize is ranked as one of the most, some people say the most corrupt yes. state politically in the entire country. And yes. if you uh, if you look at metrics like the amount of our politicians that mm -hmm. get convicted of yes. crimes, What's going on out there? Uh, what's going on in terms of actually illegal behavior? And then what kind of uh, legalized corruption is happening in Albany? And what can you do about it? This is my favorite question so far because the IDC members have raised um, millions of dollars into what they're calling the independent party, so to speak, or an independent coffer, we should say. Um, and they're transferring this money illegally, right? So they're raising it illegally, they're transferring it illegally, and it's not just us saying, oh, that's illegal, but the board of elections and all of the leadership there and a court in New York actually ruled that their money was raised illegally. So that's a problem because as you can look at their, um, their campaign contributions from the past quarter, what you see is that a lot of their money is transferred from the independent party. Um, to, for my opponent, it's $200,000 roughly, which is a lot of money. Um, and there's no way to stop him from accessing it, even though it was ruled to be illegally raised. And how it does that make compare sense. to the non-illegal money that he raised? Uh, right. So this is and great. So we actually... so. For those of you listening, um, we just had a, we had a very big week last week. Two big things happened. One was that we had to submit all of our signatures to get onto the ballot. And two was that we had to submit all of our contributions to show what we've raised. So this is the second time so far, but really the most important and critical point because it's the only time until the primary that all of the people that all of these anti-IDC um, individuals are challenging can see how much we've raised and how strong we are. Um, and so when you actually put myself and my opponent side by side and you remove his illegally raised money, we actually outraised him, which is That's quite amazing. frankly, I don't give myself any credit for anything remarkable considering that we have been um, truly um, just going at this for seven months and have been told so many times that people, we can't give you money, we're afraid to show up on the report, or you know he's going to be mad. There's a lot of recrimination that goes on in New York State, and retribution, actually I should say, retribution. So if somebody does something but they feel beholden to an elected official, they actually won't do the right thing. So a lot of people didn't contribute until Alexandria won, which for those of you also listening, her district overlaps with my district. Ocasio-Cortez. So, Ocasio-Cortez, yeah. that's right. And once she won, people realized, oh no, like this is possible. And so they started to give more. Um, but yeah, we outraised him with individual contributions, which just shows you what we can do from now until the end 
this is a winnable race, 100%. And even if he outraises us in total, it's okay because I really am clear on the fact that the political currency of our time is not just dollars, it's people. And we have so many volunteers as well. And I know Nathan's going to jump into a series of questions about your priorities. Uh, but just for folks listening, this isn't hyperbole when uh, Alessandra says that this was illegal. Um, the state Supreme Court and mm-hmm. the Board of Elections both said that this fundraising scheme is illegal. And uh, the IDC continued to use this illegal fundraising mechanism. The Board of Elections, again, just a few days ago, called it out again. Um, we're going to be sending a letter tomorrow to the Board of Elections uh, outlining what we view uh, the remedy should be, which mm-hmm. is a, a full refund of these monies and uh, this money and a fine mm-hmm. and a complete dissolution of the Independence Party, which we think is uh, is the most appropriate remedy. Uh, and there's a petition going around mm-hmm. that folks are signing right now. And there's also the potential for legal action from uh, it could be anybody from voters to candidates right. like yourself who right. have standing to sue uh, for this illegal behavior. Right. And it's up to us to make sure that uh, folks are held accountable for this. That's right. And I mean, to the illegal activity as well, I just want to make one comment too. Um, I am running against somebody who has been also, um, who has allegations against him for sexual misconduct. I don't often talk about it because I don't have to, because there are so many other bad things that unfortunately have happened. But this is, to put this into perspective, he was charged, he was, um, he has an allegation for sexual misconduct. And during the legislative session, he was one of four men who were rewriting New York's sexual harassment policy. And the result of the bill and policy that they, that they created was that victims who come forward, or alleged victims who come forward, will have harsher penalties against them if they're, have, they're found to have lied. So that's what happens when you put somebody in the room um, who can benefit from changing the law um, to make sure that they don't get in trouble. And this, we've seen this in New York State politics for probably all of time, from Tammany Hall till now. And it's really time to stop because it's, it's hurting so many people. Um, and it's just also completely out of touch with what's going on across the board. So I want to jump in here. Um, I think it's important to note that everybody loves a good boogeyman. There's always people that want to vote against something. Um, but a lot of people want something to vote for. Uh, you're young, you're smart, you have a fresh perspective and outlook. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about what some of your legislative priorities would be if you were elected? I know you mentioned women's reproductive rights and Rikers Island is in your district. Yes. So can you touch on that a little yes. bit? Yes, and it's noteworthy that when I am knocking on people's doors, I don't knock on their door and tell them all of the terrible things that are happening with their state government. I think that's a very important point. And I think that when you bring optimism and um, positivity to somebody and you can show them that you know, there is a different possibility of what the government can do for us. It actually goes a longer way than to scare them and to tell them about all the bad things that are happening. But so, the IDC is genuinely yes. bad. They yes, are engaging is. in yes, illegal activity. They are yes. duplicitous in their campaign messaging. That's right. I agree with all they that, are. but, but I right. want to hear your yes, the optimism. Positive. Absolutely. So there are four main things that I talk about, um, and, and these are my four main priorities um, when elected. The first is fully funding our public schools. Um, Across the entire district, every child in every zip code doesn't have access to the same education. And unfortunately, if you look at Pelham, which is in the Westchester portion, any time that there's a budget deficit, the parents will come together and they will fundraise and make sure that their children do not have any lack of anything that they need. Unfortunately, in the Hunts Point 
area of the district, the parents are not able to do that. Some of them are working two or three jobs to make sure that their families can even have food on the table. And so things like art and music and after school programs get cut. And so that is the real effect of um, not having fully funded public schools. The second is affordable housing. No matter where you go in the district, this is something that I hear across the board. Um, in the Bronx, there are so many affordable housing units that have been just taken off of the market um, and rent stabilized units that have been taken off of the market because there are loopholes in our rent laws that allow for landlords, if there's a vacant apartment, to then remove it from the rent guidelines board criteria or to hike rent up after a year, 20%, which for so many people, if you start off and you have an apartment that's $1,600 and at the end of the year they raise it 36 to 3600 most people can't afford that, so then they have to move. And if they have a family, they have to change schools if they can't find another apartment. So this is a an incredibly important issue. And as someone who um, is newly engaged and also has large student debt from law school, um, being able to find an affordable home in the place that I have been raised is very important to me and it's very it's becoming increasingly challenging. Um, the third is really jobs and the future economy. I think if you are able to fill many of these gaps, we can focus also on how we're going to bring the how we're going to bring the district forward, which is an important conversation to have. And the last one is universal health care. There is something called the New York Health Act. It has passed the, the state assembly, um, which has a supermajority of Democrats, and it dies in the state Senate every single year. And it is a way to allow for 98% of New Yorkers to save on health care costs, which is tremendous. Um, and it allows for every single person to have access to health care. Uh, and I think that's incredibly important because I think healthcare is a human right. And I, I just want to jump in there again, just to reiterate, New York State has a supermajority of Democrats yes. in the state assembly. We control the, yes. the governor's mansion. And the only reason that Democrats do not control the state mm -hmm. Senate is because of this small group of rogue Democrats, right. as you called it. And you are taking on the leader, if you yes. will. Yes, yes, that's Great. exactly right. And we've got a two-to-one registration advantage Democrats in the state. And it's the equivalent. People don't pay as much attention to the state senate, uh, but it's the equivalent of you know us voting in Democrats uh, for office. Right. It's like as if like Nadler went and caucused with Paul Ryan. Right. You know nobody would stand for that. That's right. That's the best way to describe it. And honestly. The, the way that they've been getting away with this is because people just don't know who is John Flanagan. Nobody, not many people know that. People know it now, but they didn't know. And John Flanagan is the GOP majority leader. And that's exactly what's just been going on here, unfortunately. And the state, I mean, when people will say things like, well, why should I care about the state legislature? Who cares? Well, the state legislature draws all of the congressional districts too. And so if we really care about having the right representation in New York, where we have more Democrats than Republicans, we should make sure that the state legislature has Democrats who are going to draw lines that are actually fair and proportionate and make sense uh, and don't cut people out for reasons that will benefit the incumbent. And it's not just New York City, it's New York State. Right. I think we all often have a tendency yeah. to, at least I know speaking personally, to think about New York as New York City. Right. But there's a whole lot of state out there, especially when it comes to gerrymandering. That's really important. Yes. Um, I want to I wanna transition to one more. Um, this is your first campaign. Mm -hmm. um, tell our listeners who might be <laughs> thinking about running, what, yeah. what's it been like in the year of the woman to, to run for office? It is the hardest thing I've, <laughs> that I've ever done. And I really believe in being a vulnerable leader and, and being emotionally honest. It is the absolute hardest thing. 
I have done so many trainings, I cannot even count them anymore. Um, and I will say this, after 2016, I went to Nashville and I did the Arena Summit training series. It was like three days, was it three days? Met. That's yeah. how we met, exactly. Yeah. And I left that training being so motivated to run for anything quite frankly, that I was trying to figure out what it would be. And I also thought, well, I know, like, I just did this presidential race and like, I've done all these trainings. Like, I think I know you need like a campaign manager and a treasurer. You got to fill out forms and like raise money. I, and then like, everything's great. <laughs> it is, it is unrelenting in terms of your time and attention. There's something that I think we could do more in terms of talking about, which is the sacrifice monetarily and personally that is required um, and also in order I, I really believe in order to really um, give it your all you have to literally give it your all which means your time and attention and so um, it's just it's very challenging it really is and there's a section of running for office which is endorsements and the endorsement process which takes up so much of your time and it's incredibly important because it's the it's really the um, groundwork that is laid for how you understand the policies that you care about and you have to do it because that's the support especially as a first-time candidate having the endorsements that we have like the arena um, and like 32bj and all of these other grassroots organizations has been mission critical for us because we have been able to say great we're endorsed okay we need this many people to knock doors this weekend to meet our goals and that's how we're mobilizing um, but that requires a lot of time um, and attention and you got to build a team of people that really care and that get it because you don't want people going to the doors with a lackluster message so you have to get your message right there are just so many components i think that go into it but um when you hit your stride which takes a long time and i don't even know that i've hit a stride i have to say as soon as just as soon as i feel like oh this is great we've built this strong ground something happens and the highs are so high and the lows are so low and you have to just maintain a balance and say okay like this is this is very normal right like every day is going to be different and you can't take it personally and just keep going forward because truly fire is thrown at you and you have to remain very calm but i really think it's it's the bet it's training to actually be the elected official that you're trying to become and settling into that requires all of this and it's important it's really important but it's hard it's very hard and so when we first sat down and we talked about this race uh, it was a David versus Goliath mm -hmm. type campaign. Yes. Uh, Klein was not as vulnerable mm -hmm. as he appears now. There was right. uh, a lot of the uh, sexual uh, harassment type allegations right. were just rumors. They weren't reported on. Uh, the IDC still had the nominal backing right. of most of the New York establishment. There was no Ocasio. Mm -hmm. uh, tell us about what may be easier now for you. Mm -hmm. like, what's your opening here? Uh, now all these months later. Yeah, so I actually want to talk about those first days because I am a woman running for office and I think we hear oftentimes that it takes 10 times to ask a woman to run. I think I was probably... I think I asked all 10 times. You did not. I was, that's where I was going with it. I think Robbie asked me probably all 10 times, like, are you doing it? Are you going to do it? Why aren't you doing it yet? Did you file your papers? What's happening? And the weekend before I even decide to do it, I mean, Robbie and I were having lunch, right? And 
I was like, I don't know. You know, I think I really should do it. And it was the first time I actually admitted that. And he's like, okay, we were mid lunch and we just like ran out of the lunch and we went to a whiteboard and we just started writing on the whiteboard, all of the things that I needed to do right then to make sure that we could actually like get off the ground. What's um, funny about that before you go on <laughs> is that, uh, at that time there was reporting about like some grand conspiracy of big power brokers yes. to get you to run. Yes, that's right. Like all these people mm-hmm. like Crowley or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it was hysterical because there, the conspiracy was this like group of <laughs> nobody's. Well, we like, should paint the picture, no, right? Yeah, we were, nobody. I was like sweating in a tank top in the middle of December because I was so nervous. And Robbie was like, okay, here's this whiteboard. Let's just write all over it. And it was like red marker and green marker. And it was just, if you looked at it, it was like madness. And I took my notes and I left and I was just like, okay, I have to do it now because I told Robbie I was doing it. And I I remember going home and telling, I I felt so responsible. And then I went home. One day you'll be on the other side. (laughs) (laughs) But it was, it was so important. I remember we were in Phoenix and we were having the same conversation and you were one foot in, one foot out. And it must've been right before you guys went out. That's, that's, that's exactly right. I think it's important for people to hear because you're now, I think a lot of people who don't know you that well, like it's like, uh, you're an inspiration to so many people, but I think a lot of people don't realize how like scary it was back then. And a lot of people are facing decisions like that. Now I'm worried about this thing in my background. I remember that at the time we were talking about, you know, you hadn't voted in all the elections (laughs) and we were like, and we were thinking about how we do it. And I think we just said, well, let's just tell the truth. You know, like, that's that's exactly right. And I have to say like, I, this whole thing has been around my dining room table. So it's like, okay, I'm sitting at my table and like, I'm going to send an email and like, maybe that email will lead to something. It's all these little steps. But the voting thing was one of the reasons why I was like, I'm probably not going to get endorsed by like the Working Families Party because I haven't voted in every election. Right. And I have to say today, this is not actually, this is not, um, this is the, the universe and how this works. I just came from another endorsement interview. And in the endorsement interview, they were like, well, what are some of your weaknesses or things that you think that he'll throw at you? And I was like, well, I haven't voted in every election, but like, and I, and I explained and your it. Your statement was good on that. Yeah. Out, yeah. And I owned it and they were like, okay, like no big deal. Like, okay, great. But... Yeah. It could, it could have been and that I didn't probably never going to make that mistake again. No, right? I'm never, never. I voted in every election. I can't even explain to you. They're like, we're voting on whether we want fire hydrants. I'm like, I have a sticker. Phone. I voted. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, there's my name again. She's voting like a hundred times this year. And it's so important to vote. It's so important to vote. But it's, it's like sending the message of also like, we're not going to own the rhetoric of like, you have to be this certain way. You have to be a lawyer. Who knows your opponent's not perfect. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So owning it is also part of like, and, and feeling comfortable enough to say like, this is who I am. And I am really proud of like where we've come and who I am is, is a, is a secret weapon really. Because if your opponent, whoever you're running against is going to use that thing and you have fully owned it, it won't do any damage. It's like that scene, you remember 8 Mile? When yes. Eminem, like, yes. He like goes through yes. his own issues. Yes, that's and exactly right. And the guy's like, I don't know what to say. At this right. point, there's no attack. The final rap battle. Right. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That, that, that is exactly <laughs> what it's like. <laughs> so I'm waiting for the debate when he does that. Yeah. I'm like, okay, cool. So you actually have sexual harassment allegations against you. So I want to talk about that. Like you just pivot and just settle into it. It's very, it's yeah, it's very... Good. Has anything come of that against Jeff Klein? No, and we've written a letter to JCOPE, which is the independent, I'm doing air quotes, independent investigatory body in New York State that has all political appointees. Right. They haven't responded. There's no way to even know. And nobody probably will know before September 13th. Yeah. Well, I think that if, if I could just jump back very quickly, we, we touched on it a little bit, but the idea that corruption is pretty rampant yes. in Albany. Yes. Um, we're seeing high-level officials 
across both sides of the mm-hmm. aisle being convicted of corruption, yes. essentially. Yes. Um, what would you do if you're elected to, to help clean up Albany? We, the first thing, honestly, is to make Jacob have transparency in its process for investigations. This is... This is so important that I don't, I don't even think we understand the importance or the, impli- the the way that this can change. If we have a, a body that's supposed to investigate its legislators and we don't ever know what the investigation was or what the result was or if an investigation even happened, that is incredibly problematic for many reasons, but predominantly because we are the ones as taxpayers paying their salaries to work for us, to serve us in the community. And if they've done something wrong, we deserve to know. It's just a basic tenant of being like a decent human. And so transparency and accountability. I mean, there is a level of accountability when it comes to the subway. The subway, it falls under the state. Why are we fighting about this? Let's find a way to have revenue streams to pay for that. So like there are these levels of accountability that have just kind of gone like by the wayside because the people in there are not making them a priority. So any method or law that would make our processes more transparent or the way that the, gov- the that our state government also contracts with businesses, that process more transparent mm-hmm. to make sure that if they're getting a tax, uh, a tax deduction or whatever it is, that they're actually doing the thing that they've promised to do. And if they don't, that they have to give the money back. Or if this is a company that has sexual assaults against them or their members in, in mass, then maybe we have the option to not contract with them. These are really, it sounds very simple. There's been so much pushback across the state for these things, predominantly because a lot of the legislators, legislators do business um, with some of these companies and they've had a benefit um, and unfortunately, those people are in prison or are being found guilty as of this week, actually. And, and when you say they do business, correct me if I'm wrong, mm-hmm. but technically speaking, being a New York State legislator, is that a full-time gig? So it's not. So that's really interesting. Can you talk about that yes. a little bit? And, and I think people think that it is. So it's, it's a part-time job, but it really does require all of your time. So you are never, you never take your elected official hat off in the state senate or the state assembly. You are always an assembly member or a state senator. But you However, need to find outside right. income to that's pay right. your bills. That's and right. that is a recipe, literally, right. for corruption. Yeah, 100%. One of the most expensive places to live in the planet. Yes. That's right. And so state senators are paid $79,000 a year. I mean, when you think about that, that's like nothing. In New York City, I mean, it's not nothing. But if you have a family of four, that's, how are you, how? How It is hard to support a family in New York City on that salary. Absolutely. Especially when you're spending all your time commuting hours north to all of them. That's exactly right. And it's it's troubling also that we wouldn't value um, the job that they're doing. And so it... In, in, on the one hand, it's not their fault. On the other hand, it absolutely is their fault because they know the job that they are taking on and the responsibility. And, um, and it also prevents people who don't have the privilege yes. in that type of socioeconomic way yes. from running, from serving. Can we talk about privilege, actually? Please, go this right is, ahead. This is like, I think about this all the time. I am running in this race, living in the house that I grew up in with my fiance and my parents. It is, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, very hard to find any place that is um, affordable to live in. In order for me to actually run this race, my parents and my fiance have to also pay for my law school loans every single month. 
end if I because need to you eat, don't have because I income. don't have a job right now because I'm running full time. I mean, this is a job, but it's it's an unpaid job, and it's uncommon and also frowned upon significantly to pay yourself out of the money that you've raised, with the exception of um, Luba, who just I mean, really. Like shattered, right? Child ceiling. care. Child it's, care. It's Luba Gretchen Shirley running yes. around Long Island against Peter King. That's exactly right. She was on the Arena podcast. She was, yeah. She's one of our fellows. She's and fantastic. she was on the Millennial Politics podcast. It's so. funny. She came yeah. She came in, uh, same room that you came in when you decided to run. She came in uh, with her son wow. and was using the same whiteboard to, was she? to, to, That's to figure awesome. it out. Uh, <laughs> with her son just throwing Cheerios all over right. her office. And she's just like, com- yeah. she's completely crushing it. And like every time, that I am like on social media I'm watching her be at a different meeting or be in the community and she's doing it with two children so tell us about the landmark ruling Mm -hmm. that she was able to secure so she was able to secure with the Federal Election Commission um, the ability to pay out of her the money that she's raised for childcare that's remarkable I mean I think it was unanimous wasn't it I believe so yes so what she did was she trailblazed for all of us because it's very hard I often think about what it would be like to run this race with a child I even think about what it would be like to run this race if I had a part-time job it would be next to impossible and so without the people around me to support me to do this it becomes very challenging so I often dream about ways to get more women off of the sidelines to run and one of the things that I keep thinking about is like how do we invest in women earlier right before they run so that they have something like a grocery fund and maybe they have this that they can pull from throughout their entire race to pay things like groceries and their rent and childcare so that they don't feel like, well, I I really know I would be a fantastic elected official, but I can't because we don't want that to happen because if we continue to allow that to happen, we're going to see the same leadership and we are in desperate need of diversifying our leadership. And I I think that's something that should be noted, should be available to anybody who's interested in running. Yes. Just because we need more people from diverse backgrounds with different perspectives, women, people of color, Mm -hmm. LGBTQ candidates to step up and run, but they can't because we do not make it easy to participate in our democracy. And campaign finance reform is a massive priority of mine because at the state level, uh, the individual contribution limit to a state Senate candidate is $7,000. At the federal level, it's $2,700. So think about that for a second. If you are a first-time candidate who's running against an incumbent and your individual contribution limit is $7,000 in the primary, that's pretty hard when you're running up against someone who's been there for 14 years, 20 years, 30 years. And They're going to max out Absolutely. all of their donors and you're going to struggle to get $25 here, $25 Yes, and we there. had those days, I have to say. But because we pushed through, I mean, I'm also very proud of the fact that so many of our donations are small dollar, right? It's like, that's also showing us the power of like this time right now. And we have donations from 48 out of 50 states, but that's because of our endorsements and because of the support that we've gotten and not every candidate has access to it or has the time to apply for the endorsement. So there are ways um, to make this process more equal and more inclusive. And I am so truly committed to continuing to think about ways to do that because otherwise um, we're going to be, I think, not we're, we're not going to be at the place where we can be. And, I, and that's very just sad. So I want to talk a little bit about New York and the underrepresented communities mm-hmm. that, that live here. Um, when I think about New York City specifically, there's a large immigrant population. Mm-hmm. 
Um, there's a, a very large LGBTQ population. Yeah. Um, Donald Trump and his administration seem to be systematically mm-hmm. attacking these cohorts. If elected to the New York State Senate, mm-hmm. what would you do to protect these minority communities? Mm-hmm. So uh, I think the answer is what wouldn't I do? Yeah because there are so many bills right now pending in the the state senate that or i should say died unfortunately in the state senate that could have actually helped um, immigrant families and minority families um, across the entire state things like the liberty act which would create new york as a sanctuary state it would also prevent ice officers from going into courtrooms amongst many other things um, the DREAM Act, <clears throat> which would give immigrant children access to higher education after they graduate from high school. Um, it, it, to me, it seems like a no-brainer, and it wouldn't even increase the amount of state funding that significantly to say no to it, but we can't pass it. Um, giving IDs to all immigrants, and I also think that, and this is a bill also, but I also think that there's a way um, with new leadership to change the language around a lot of these things. Um, I am I'm struggling right now with the question of like, when did it become non-sacred to just be a human? Mm. And what is going on that we can't see that people are coming to the United States because they would die in the place that they are coming from? And it's a le- there's a lack of empathy across the board. Not all of our um, elected officials, but so many of them. And it's not just because I'm running against him, but I have not seen my opponent out there in the streets screaming or marching or what, holding a sign even to say anything at all. <laughs> to say like families are being, you know, children are being ripped from their families. I can't sleep at night. I can't sleep at night. It right. makes me sick to my stomach. And yet he has the ability and the power to do something about it and is not. And there are facilities in the Bronx and in Westchester that have these children. And it is just absolutely appalling. And so we have to take every measure we possibly can. I come from an Italian-American family. They came here four generations ago, and they were discriminated against significantly. My grandfather, my my great-grandfather during the Great Depression had gone to a, a Democratic political club for a job and was turned away because he was Italian. And that stuck with my great-grandfather and my grandfather in such a way that they said if there was ever a time in their lives where they had the opportunity to make it easier for somebody else, that they would. And this is that time, and we have those tools, which are the bills that have been drafted and we have to do it because we owe it to the entire world. Everybody's looking at New York, everybody, right? And so the fact that we're not actually living up to the level that we can live up to is embarrassing and also means that we have to do better. We just have to. So this is how we do better. We vote, we have new leadership. We say, we're holding you accountable for your behavior of what you've done. And with immigrants, it is one of the most vulnerable populations and it's um, just like it gives me a heavy heart to think about this that people would live in fear they don't even want to leave their homes or if something happens like a crime is committed they are afraid to go to the police because maybe the police will take them away or separate them from their families I mean what have we truly come to I think that the way that ICE is behaving is very analogous to the way that the Gestapo was behaving and we need to look at these things and be honest about them and say like what is what is actually happening here and there's a human being behind every action that we're taking and be more heart-centered and we have to do it now we really do so for folks who want to get involved in your campaign mm-hmm. want to help you out 
uh, for folks who are in New York, and then we'll talk about folks who are not uh, local. What can they do to help you? There are three things that you can do if you want to get involved. So you can sign up on our website to volunteer, and volunteering is threefold. You can go knock on them doors, which is canvassing. You can do a texting program. You can phone bank. Um, you can also donate online. And every single dollar counts. I cannot tell you how many $1 donations we have gotten. They add up because also the number of donors is a powerful number that shows that grassroots is leading and people are the, are the, are, are the most powerful mechanism. And then um, the last thing is that you can follow us on social media, on Twitter, on Instagram, and on Facebook. The handle is at Biagi. B-I-A-G-G-I for NY and our website is biagi4ny.com. Great. Well, Alessandra, thank you for joining us thank today. Thank you so much for having me. It's a lot of fun. Yeah.